Never confuse God's patience with passiveness. God is patient. God is not passive. Never confuse God's patience with permissiveness. God is patient, but God is not permissive. We have been looking at the work of the Holy Spirit in the world since the day of Pentecost. We've talked about the convicting ministry of the world, and last week we began to talk about the restraining work of God in the world. Now, what we've been looking at uh, last week, what we're going to look at tonight is not just specific to what has been happening since Pentecost, because we want to lay a foundation for understanding what it means that God is delaying judgment and what God is doing while judgment tarries. God is not late. God is not slack, as some men count slackness concerning his promise, but he is long-suffering. Let me remind you what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. God is restraining evil because he is delaying in judging that evil, but don't mistake his patience with passiveness. Don't mistake his patience with permissiveness. One of the most basic doctrines to the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation is the doctrine of human responsibility. God holds us responsible because God has made us response-able. When God created Adam and Eve and placed them in the garden, they were not born dead in their trespasses and sins as we are. They were created as free moral agents. We, by the way, are still free moral agents. We are created in their image as they were created in God's image. Now, tonight we're not going to take the time to go into a deep discussion on what it means to be created in the image of God. Many people want to reduce that to intrinsic value. And certainly, because we're created in the image of God, we have intrinsic value. All of us who are descended from Noah and through Noah descended from Adam and Eve have intrinsic value. But I believe and others believe that there is much more in that statement, let us make man in our image, than just let us make man with intrinsic value. And I and others believe that within that statement is also intrinsic responsibility. Intrinsic responsibility. What did God do when he created Adam and Eve? He placed them over his creation. He said, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth. And he gave them one command, one thing that they were to avoid doing, and that was to not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They could eat of every other tree in the garden. But this one tree, God said, don't eat. Now, he didn't, as I said a few months ago now, I think, he didn't put up an electric fence around the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He gave them responsibility. He gave them the ability to choose to obey or to choose to reject and that command to choose is found throughout the Bible. We have been given the 
command to choose because God has given us the ability to choose. Now, Romans 1 says that there are certain things about God that he has revealed to us. Men are without excuse, not because they are incapable of responding, but because God has made them capable of responding to the knowledge that they have. You don't have the ability to respond to knowledge that you don't have, but whatever knowledge God has given you, Romans chapter 1, God holds us without excuse because we do have the ability to respond to the knowledge that he has given to us. And again, that began in the very beginning at the Garden of Eden. And so God holds men responsible for our actions. God restrains evil, but God has not yet removed evil. God restrains evil, but God still allows evil in the world. He allows Satan as a free moral agent to do his devilish deeds, and he allows men to make choices. He commands us to choose. Through Moses, God said to the people of Israel, I have set set before you this day life, death, blessing, cursing. Choose life that you might live. Through, Through Joshua, God said to the children of Israel, choose you this day whom you will serve. You want to serve the gods back in Egypt? You want to serve the gods of the Canaanites? Or you're going to serve the God who delivered our parents out of Egypt? The God who has been with us through the wilderness? The God who has brought us these victories in Canaan and has given us the land? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, Joshua said. But we have the choice that we have to make. We have the responsibility. And so God restrains evil, but God allows evil. God restrains it, but he uses us as part of the restraining process. So last week we looked at some ways that God has actively restrained evil since the very beginning uh, and since Pentecost. We talked, first of all, about the family unit, going back to Adam and Eve. Uh, God created the family unit. Malachi 2 tells us one of the main reasons that God created the family is to raise godly seed or to raise a godly offspring, that mom and dad working together, and, and it's not always able to be mom and dad because of a sinful world, because of, of things that happen in the sinful world, because of sinful choices that, that one or both parents sometimes make, but the family unit is created. It's broken because of sin, but it's created to raise godly seed. It's created to restrain sin, and so it's one of the ways, it's the first way, really, that God has established uh, to restrain sin in the world. And we talked last week about the epidemic of fatherless homes. When dad is not there, uh, when dad is unknown, uh, the likelihood that, uh, the increased likelihood that a child will not graduate or the child will uh, not um, stay out of prison, or the increased likelihood that the child will face severe problems in life and challenges because of fatherlessness. The family unit is given to us to restrain evil. Number two, we have individual conscience. Regardless of uh, who your parents are, we can't blame our parents uh, for our own choices. We are each of us responsible before God. We will give an account of ourselves to God. Now, as parents, I will give an account for how I fathered my son, but ultimately he will still give an account for himself. 
once he reaches that age of accountability, that age when he is able to understand and respond. So God has given us uh, the family. He's given us conscience. But again, as we saw last week, conscience is broken as well because of sin. Our conscience can be desensitized so that we sin without feeling like we're sinning. Our conscience can be overly sensitive so that we feel guilty for things that aren't sin. And so our conscience isn't a perfect guide, but it is a guardrail that God has put up to restrain evil. We talked about conviction briefly because we've been spending a lot of time on that in John 16, the work of the Holy Spirit. The reason that the Holy Spirit needs to do that work is because of the brokenness of our world, because of the uh, God of this age who is judged by God. Uh, And God's Spirit strives. God's Spirit strove with man before the flood. God's Spirit is striving with man now, but it is for a season because just as judgment was coming in the days of Noah, so also is judgment coming in our day as well. And then lastly, we touched briefly last week upon human government and the need to pray for our leaders, to pray for righteous leaders, to pray that righteousness will prevail, to pray that we will have the freedom, to continue to have the freedom that we, that we enjoy in our country, that not all Christians do enjoy in their countries, but that we enjoy, that we can stand and share the gospel publicly without any fear of a government official coming in uh, and, and arresting us or, or persecuting us or fining us. And so we need to pray that those freedoms continue. We need to pray that we have the freedom to be evangelistic, as Paul tells Timothy in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, which, Lord willing, will get there in a few moments and go back there in a few moments but let's talk about some more ways that god restrains evil all of this is really foundational we're not diving deeply into any one of these things but i want to just give you a a broad overview of god in his mercy actively restraining evil things are not as bad as they could be as bad as they are they are not as bad as they could be they are not as bad as they will be when god removes many of these restraints, uh, and his judgment falls. So these are, some of these are historic, some of these are present, some of these are prophetic, but 12 ways God restores evil. We've covered the first four, and let's see if uh, time will permit us tonight to get through the rest of these. Number five, number five. God restrains evil through the prophets, historically through the prophets, uh, through whom God has given us the word of God. The Word of God itself is a restraint on evil. And the Holy Spirit has been actively working from Moses forward. We don't know exactly who wrote the book of Job. Uh, Some argue that Job is the first of the biblical books that was written. Uh, Many Jewish scholars, and I tend to agree with them, believe that Moses also authored the book of Job. Uh, We can't say that dogmatically, but... Uh, Moses was really the first, as far as we know, the first of the prophets to write things down and to record them for us. He was not, of course, the first prophet. There were prophets all the way back. Enoch is called a prophet. We could even say Adam was a prophet. He spoke directly uh, to God. We don't have uh, the words that he recorded today, but we have a few, very few things that Enoch said. Nevertheless, the word of God, as it was being delivered even before it was being written, while it was being written, but while 
Uh, very little of it had been written. The prophets were God's restraint on evil. Now, again, they did not remove evil. They did not cancel evil. In fact, many of them gave their lives in the restraint of evil. We said this morning from Hebrews chapter 11 that we can say of those men and those women who were prophetesses in the Old Testament who gave their life, of whom the world is not worthy of them because of how God has used them. But God continues to speak through those who he used to record the word of God, his messengers, to, re to reveal and deliver the authoritative and perfect word of God. Uh, this is an incredible thing that God would do. This is uh, a revelation of the kind of God that he is, a God who reveals himself, a God who uh, records his words for us. We have seen before from 2 Timothy chapter 3 that the words of God are literally God-breathed, that he literally breathed them out. When we breathe out, our breath lingers in the air for a moment, and then the mist dissipates. And on a cold Maryland morning, when you walk outside and your breath hits the air and you see it just for a moment before it, it as a vapor, evaporates, when God spoke, the words became eternal and permanent. They've settled on the page. We can study them. We can read them. And they are a restraint on evil. It's why places in the world where Satan has such a stronghold of evil, he suppresses the Word of God. He uh, destroys the Word of God whenever he can because of its restraining power. Listen to just a few of these passages that I have written down here. Deuteronomy chapter 17. Uh, this is uh, instructions that God gave through Moses to Israel concerning the kings that would come. God prophetically said, you are going to have kings in the future. And here's what God says about those future kings in Israel. He says, and it shall be with him, the king, that he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of this law and these statutes, to do them, that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren, and that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, to the end that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. God said the word of God needs to be read by the king so that his heart will be turned towards righteousness and away from wickedness, that he would judge rightly, that I might bless my people. Second Kings chapter 17, verse 13, Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all the prophets and by all the seers, saying, Turn ye from your evil ways. Keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. Second Chronicles 36, 15, The Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers, rising up betimes and sending because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. Nehemiah 9.30, Yet many years did thou forbear them and testifiest against them by thy spirit in thy prophets, yet would not they give ear. Therefore gavest thou them into the hand of the people of the land. See, the word of God is quick and powerful. It is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to pierce the inner man, the distinction between soul and spirit. It has the power to pierce. Nevertheless, God allows man to choose. God allows man to reject God's Word. God allows man 
to refuse to obey as these Israelites and their sad history is a testament in our, uh, our Old Testament of the many times that God sent them warnings and evil was restrained for a time, but God did not force them to abandon their idols. And so even though the messengers were sent and they did have an impact, nevertheless, many of those prophets, as we've already said, were put to death because of their faithfulness to God. They were martyred for their ministry. Nevertheless, Isaiah 55:11 tells us, this is God speaking through the prophet, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. So God's word is one of the major ways that he has given us to restrain evil, and it's why we must continue to preach God's word. It's why we must continue to share God's word when we can, where we can. That, of course, starts in our own homes, in our own families, in our own circle of influence, but we need to be sure that we are standing on and standing for the word of God in all of our culture. And so the take-home for us as those called to be used by God to restrain evil, is to allow God's word to restrain it in our own lives. To diligently study and obey God's word. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Why do we pray, oh Lord, do this, and oh Lord, do that, and we have no interest in obeying him. We have no interest in giving up the thing that we refuse to give up, the thing that we hide from God, the thing that we uh, hide from others. We have no interest in giving that up, and yet we call him Lord and ask him to meet our every need. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it for it was founded upon a rock but he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth same amount of work went into the house but if you haven't laid the foundation you have wasted your time and energy and resources and you have placed yourself and your entire family in danger Verse 49, but he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that is without a foundation built a house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. God's word restrains evil, but it is never intended to remove evil. You have a choice when you hear God's word to respond and obey or to harden your heart and to disobey the prophets, and the word of God. Number six, historically and prophetically, one of the ways that God has restrained evil in the world is through the nation of Israel. In the Old Testament, Israel was used to discipline other nations. We could spend uh, many nights going through the book of Joshua, going through the book of Judges. We can see how God raised up men and women and how God uh, raised up the nation of Israel and used them as judgment against pagan nations. Now, this, this isn't just about borders, and this isn't just about um, taxes, and this isn't just about... These people were incredibly wicked. 
These people were incredibly wicked. Re- read in the Old Testament some of the things that they were doing with their own children. And they were wicked, wicked people. We may or may not in this life find out just how wicked some of our leaders have been with the arrest of Jeffrey Epstein's girlfriend. I don't know if you've read the flight logs of the men and women of great fame and fortune in our country who rode the Lolita Express. And I am certainly not saying that just because they knew Jeffrey Epstein or even just because they went to his island that they were engaged in all of the profane wickedness that he was involved in. But it does not look good for those politicians and athletes and celebrities and people of influence. And we may, and we should pray that we do, see this evil finally exposed and see God finally deal with it. He will deal with it in his time. He is not delayed. No one gets away with anything. But we need to pray that God uh, do it now. I think we should be praying that God reveal now what has been going on, regardless of who gets exposed, regardless of what party they belong to, regardless of whether they're one of our favorite actors or whoever. But we, we may find out that there is a lot more wickedness going on uh, in our country. Uh, I certainly believe there is than, than many people are ready to embrace and accept. Nevertheless, uh, God was using the nation of Israel in the past to deal with incredibly wicked cultures, and God will use them again at the end of time. Jerusalem, Zechariah 12 tells us, will become a cup of trembling, and God will use Jerusalem to bait all of the nations of the world and all of their armies who have at that day and in that time given their hearts and given their souls to the beast, the Antichrist, and they will all gather in Armageddon and Jesus Christ, Revelation 19, one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible, will ride down from heaven on his white horse, the sword coming from his mouth, a tattoo of his name written down the side of his leg, and he will deal with these nations and their wickedness once and for all and those regarding those who serve the antichrist and that will be an incredible day and we're going to be with him if you know him we're going to be riding down with him that will be an incredible incredible day but until that day god is restraining evil and israel is one of the ways that god has and will again use to restrain evil number seven today the church today god's Focus has shifted temporarily. Paul talks about this in Romans 9, 10, and 11. Has shifted temporarily from the nation of Israel and and God is dealing with us, the church. God is restraining evil through us, the church. We do not war in the same way that Israel warred. Our weapons of our warfare, Paul, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, are not carnal weapons. They're spiritual weapons. We go to war with prayer We go to war with the Word of God. We don't go to war with swords and chariots the way that Israel did. Not that there was anything wrong with that. But that's not our calling. Our calling is to restrain evil through prayer and through the Word of God, through being part of the ministry of conviction 
to have nothing to do, as, as Ephesians 5.11 says, to have nothing to do with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather to expose them. To, to talk about things that we don't want to talk about because they need to be exposed as wicked and evil. And so that is our job. We do not wage war with human weapons, but we do engage in spiritual warfare. Paul says, be strong in the Lord, the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. Because the, the, the evil day is coming. The wiles of the devil are going to be flying. So we better have our armor on. We don't wrestle, Paul says, against flesh and blood. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places, all of the real power. Israel was focused in their time and on their ministry on the humans that, and the nations that were being controlled by Satan and, and that were, get, had given themselves over to the worship of demons. Uh, God has us using spiritual weapons because our job is to evangelize the nations and to deal spiritually in the spiritual realm through prayer, through the Word of God, through the declaration of truth, the spreading of the gospel, to deal with Satan there on our turf, not his turf. This world is his kingdom. We don't want to fight Satan using his weapons on his terms. We want to fight Satan uh, we want to be sober and we want to be vigilant because our adversary, the devil, prowls about, around as, about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So we want to stand firm in the faith, Peter says. And as we stand firm in the faith and, and in prayer and in unity, uh, the devil will flee. He will flee because that's our territory, because that's the territory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This world, of course, belongs to Christ as well, but he is restraining sin. He has not yet come again in the second coming to remove it. And so we need, as the church, as we wait for our deliverance, as we wait for the judgment that will follow our deliverance, to be strategic and aggressive as soldiers of Jesus Christ. You may not want to think of yourself as a spiritual warrior, but you are. You're either a good one or a bad one, but you are a warrior. So put your armor on every day. Learn how to wield that sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And Lord willing, we'll talk about that in a few months in, in much greater detail. But Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.18 to fight the good fight. The word there for fight is a strategic military term. It means you need to think this out. You need to have a, a plan in place. You need to strategize the good strategy, Timothy. But when he says it at the end of 1 Timothy in chapter 6... He says, fight the good fight. He uses a different Greek word, one that has to do with aggression and, and, and literally engaging physically with the enemy. And so we need to be strategic. We need to be aggressive in our prayer life. And we need to be uh, strategic in our study of God's word. We are soldiers of Christ. We need to be united as soldiers, remembering who the real enemy is, not flesh and blood, not flesh and blood. Those are the people, those are the mission field. That's who we're called to reach. We get distracted because we get angry and we get frustrated with the things we see going on in the world. But we have to constantly remind ourselves we're not wrestling with flesh and blood. We're not wrestling with flesh and blood. We are attacking the one who is controlling them. And as Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, we need to be, we need to be uh, gentle in how we deal with people who disagree with us in the hopes that God will grant them repentance because they've been captured by the devil to do his will. And so we need to be we need to be mindful of that. 
We are the church. Be strategic and aggressive. Now, there are some overlap in some of these, so I'm going to cover some of these a little more quickly than others because, again, there's some overlap as I've laid these things out for us. The prophets and the Word of God, the nation of Israel, the church, and then number eight, divine empowerment. Divine empowerment. We spent a number of weeks talking about the Holy Spirit's ministry in the church from the day of Pentecost. We talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We talked about the filling of the Holy Spirit. So let me just remind you that the believer's path to internal victory, eternal and internal victory over evil, the believer's path to being an external force for good and an influence for good as salt and light is made possible by the Spirit of Christ who lives inside of each and every believer. If you have confessed your sin to the Lord and there was a time in your life when you recognized that you were a sinner who could not save themselves, but that Jesus Christ came and He paid your sin debt for you. He died on the cross. He shed His blood. And He paid your sin debt so that you don't have to go to hell forever and ever. That you can be forgiven. And He rose victorious over death, sin, and the grave so that we can receive His grace by faith. And if you have called upon the name of the Lord to be saved, as Paul says in Romans chapter 10, then you have been born again. You have been completely forgiven of every sin. You have been declared legally righteous in the courts of heaven. And you have been given the seal of your adoption, the Holy Spirit to live inside of you. And he will empower us to live the Christian life. And there is no greater restraint in my life than the Holy Spirit living inside of me. So much so that as Paul promises in Ephesians 5, if I walk in the Spirit, I will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. I'll still have them. I'll still fight them. But I won't fulfill them because of the Holy Spirit. If I will walk in Him, there is no greater personal restraint on evil than the Holy Spirit of God. Praise God who lives inside of me. So this I say then with the Apostle Paul, walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Do you want to see evil restrained in the world? Start there. Start with your heart. Have you confessed your sin? Have you trusted in the death and resurrection of Messiah as the only and all-sufficient payment for sin? If you have, you've been born again. You have the Holy Spirit. If not, today is the day of salvation. Today's the day when you can when you can make that decision. You can call upon the Lord, you can be forgiven, you can be saved, you can be born again. Divine empowerment number nine we've talked about this as well uh, i think over the last few weeks another way that god restrains evil and specifically the evil of satan against us is what satan himself called the hedge the hedge of protection that god places around his children listen to what satan says to god about job i'm not going to try to sound like satan i don't know exactly how he sounds i imagine there's a hiss to his voice. He is called the ancient serpent and the red dragon. But he says, Hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath. In other words, remove the hedge, God, and he will curse thee to thy face. So the Lord said, I'll take that bet. I'll take that bet. The Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Chapter 2, it doesn't work. So Satan comes back, says, Hey, if you let me 
If you let me touch his flesh. You didn't let me get, get his body last time. If you let me give him an illness, give him some physical pain. So the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he's in thine hand, but save, save his life. We, we, don't know the spiritual, we, we don't know the spiritual realm, what's going on when we, when we get sick, when Christians deal with, with cancer, when Christians deal with illness, when Christians deal with sickness. We don't know if there's a spiritual element there that's going on. We need to pray. That's why, we, that's why we're called to pray for our brothers and sisters. It's why we're called to pray for our own needs when we have uh, a physical need. Call the elders of the church. We'll pray over you. We'll pray with you. We'll pray for you. We'll pray together. But there is a hedge of protection. As we saw this morning, Psalm 34, 7, the angel of the Lord encampeth round those who fear him, and he delivers them. One of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. It, it's kind of obscure, but it's not really obscure. But it's from 2 Kings chapter 6. And uh, I don't have that reference written down in your notes, but Elisha the prophet is standing with someone and the city's been surrounded by this enemy army and the people are terrified and uh, Elisha says, um, fear not. For they that be with us are more than they that be with them. I said, well, I don't know, I don't know where you uh, learned to do math, Elisha, but uh, that's not what I'm counting. That's not what I'm seeing. And Elijah said, yeah, that's the problem. You're, re- you're relying just on your eyes. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. And God gave a great victory to the nation that day. But the victory was waiting. It just wasn't visible. So we have to remember that there is so much going on that we cannot see because it's in the spiritual realm. Things that are happening in the spiritual realm. There is a hedge of protection. You need to pray that hedge around your family. You need to pray that hedge of protection around your belongings. Isn't that what Satan says? God had that hedge not not only around Job, but around his family, around his household, around his belongings. Satan was trying to get in, and he couldn't touch him because of the hedge of protection. I had uh, someone uh, share with me, uh, uh, I think it was last Sunday, um, uh, Linda, that you were praying for the hedge of protection around me, and that that meant so much to me, and that is uh, so vital that you be praying for for me and my family for pastor nick and his family for our deacons and their families that we're praying for each other praying that hedge of protection the angel of the lord will deliver and we don't know how active that hedge really is there's so much going on in the spiritual realm that god has not revealed to us so god has restrained evil using the family he's restrained evil using the conscience he's actively working and convicting of sin he's restrained evil through human government which sadly is broken all of these things except for the work of god himself are broken or limited the prophets and the word of god not limited to what god has set it out to to accomplish but the prophets were limited 
And the Word of God uh, will not force you to obey it. Israel uh, failed so many times. God had to judge the ones that He was using to judge the nations. The church, uh, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, and yet so many times we do not claim the promises that God has given to us. We do not appropriate the power that God has given to us through prayer, through the truth of God's Word, the perfect authoritative Word of God. And then the divine empowerment of the Holy Spirit and that hedge of protection. Lord, open our eyes to see and to believe by faith that greater are they with us than they with them. As John says, greater is he that is in you, if you know Jesus Christ, than he that is in the world. So let's keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. Pray daily that the Father will deliver us and ours from the evil one. Isn't that part of the Lord's Prayer? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil one. We need to pray that prayer every day. We'll talk about the last few of these uh, next week. As Lord willing, we jump into uh, the active work of the Holy Spirit in restraining evil. But for now, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your patience with us. God, it feels sometimes like you are late and like you are delayed, but God, you are simply being patient. You're patient with us. You're patient with others. You're giving us time to repent. And so, God, if there's somebody here that has been given time to repent, I pray whatever it is that you're convicting them of, God, that they would repent of that. God, for those who are causing havoc in our nation, God, we pray that they would repent or be silenced. Repent or be removed, God, in your mercy. But, God, we uh, pray that this hedge of protection and blessing that you've put around our church, I thank you for the hedge of protection that you've put around my family. God, we pray that that hedge would be strong, would be tight, and God, we give you all the praise and glory for the protection and blessing that you have afforded to us. God, may we be those that you use not to be permissive of evil or passive of evil, but to restrain the evil that we encounter in the world by exposing it with the truth of your word. We love and thank you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.